What do the deacons at your church do? And how does the biblical portrait of deacons differ from what you've seen in the church? Welcome to Radical, a weekly sermon podcast with pastor, teacher, and author David Platt. You can find all the previous episodes of Radical with David Platt by searching on iTunes or by visiting Radical.net. While elders are servant leaders in the church, the Bible identifies deacons as leading servants in the church. According to Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, deacons have three responsibilities. To meet the needs according to the Word, to support the ministry of the Word, and to unify the body around the Word. This kind of ministry may not be flashy or even visible, but it is crucial to the church's health and growth. So here's David Platt with a sermon titled, Deacons, Leading Servants in the Church, from Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. Book of Acts chapter 6. Coming to this this last message in, in a series on radical restoration, becoming the church God has intended for us to be. We're on a journey together. Christ has called us outside the camp. He's called us to make his glory and his grace and his goodness known among all the peoples of the earth. So we've been diving into the question of how we can most effectively organize as a church to make that happen because we know that in our culture today we are so skewed by our individualistic, consumeristic American mindset that we easily lose sight of what the church is supposed to be about. So last week we, we started looking at two primary leadership roles in the church. Last week we looked at... Okay, there were a couple of you, but that was really, that was really de- depressing for this pastor, okay? So I'm going to give you one more chance. And uh, last week we talked about one particular role in, of leadership in the church. That role was... Oh, nice. Okay, you were here. Okay, and then this week we're going to talk about deacons. Now, remember some of the ground rules that we kind of laid at the beginning of our time together. Those are terms that are used in a variety of different ways in a variety of different churches. So we've got to throw aside our preconceived notions and ideas about those terms. We know that elders are many times called pastors in churches or or different roles in different churches. Same thing with deacons. Somebody says they're a deacon in the church. You probably need to ask a few questions to find out what if anything, they actually do in the church because it varies so much from church to church. So we're looking at Scripture, taking an honest examination of these two roles of leadership in the church because we're convinced that leadership in the church is incredibly important to fulfilling the mission of the church. And so what I want us to do is look at this biblical truth that will be kind of the foundation for our entire time together this morning. The Bible identifies two primary leadership roles in the church. First, elders who are servant leaders And second, deacons, who we're going to call leading servants in the church. Elders who are servant leaders, deacons who are leading servants. I want you to look with me in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And we're going to see a picture here of a passage that really begins to give us an idea of what deaconing is all about in the New Testament. Look in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of the faith, 
of the Holy Spirit. Then it lists the other names. And in verse 6, it says, They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, we're talking this morning about deacons. Let me give you a little background, though, of how the New Testament as a whole looks at that word. There's actually three different forms of that word in the original language of the New Testament, in the Greek. Now, let me, let me say this. I mentioned a little Greek last week. When I throw out some Greek, my goal is really not to impress you. And some of you are not impressed at all by that anyway. But that's not my goal. My goal is not to dazzle you with Greek. But just picture it this way. That's the original language the New Testament was written in. And you got, you got Hebrew in the Old Testament. I look at it like the difference between watching a, an Alabama or an Auburn or better yet, a Georgia football game. <laughs> and you're sitting in your living room on your couch and you're watching the game and you're listening to it. It's the difference between watching the game like that and being on the sidelines at the game, actually seeing the action take place right in front of you. Does that make sense? You can, you can identify with that, right? There's, there, there's, this, there's this essence where if we're watching on TV, we get the whole picture. We know what's going on. But you really start to feel the action. You start to feel the sense of what's going on in a passage when you know the original language of the New Testament. So that's why I'll throw that out every once in a while. In the original language of the New Testament, this word is used over 100 times in different forms. Diakoneo, it's literally transliterated deacon from diakoneo or diakonos. But it's used a variety of different times to refer to a variety of different things. Not always, in fact, most of the time, not dealing with a leadership role in the church. Most of the time, it's talking about service. That's what the word literally means. It's either talking about a servant or somebody who is serving or some service or ministry they perform. That's the way it's translated. Most specifically, we see it many times referring to serving in specific physical needs. So that's the overview of how we see it in the New Testament. When we come to Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, in those four verses, we see that word mentioned three different times. Let me encourage you to circle them maybe in your Bible, just so you can get a picture of how it's being used here in Acts chapter 6. In verse 1, it says, The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. That word distribution right there literally means service. That's the word, diakoneo, right there. It means service of food. What they would do is they would hand out supplies to the widows, hand out food to them. Then in verse 2, it says, The twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. The word there for waiting on tables, waiting on, is actually to serve by, by working at those tables and giving them out. That's the word right there, so you can circle it there. And so what we've got is a picture of some guys who, just like I mentioned, are leading servants. But the interesting thing is, when you get to verse 4, it's talking about the apostles who are playing the role, the functional role of elders in the church. It says, they will give, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. That word ministry right there, you can circle it. That's the same word too. And what that means is, this word is used not just to refer to a certain office in the New Testament. It's a word that's used to refer to servants all across the New Testament whether they're elders, deacons, or even just members in a church. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, used the same word there to describe how we are all supposed to be servants with the word. 
And so here's the picture we have. When we come to, to seeing leadership in the New Testament church, let's go back to that diagram on the screen that we've been using the last couple of weeks just to get this in our minds. We've got Christ who has authority over all nations, who is worthy of the worship of all nations, and he is making his glory known in the world. He's making the glory known, his glory known through the world through what? Okay, I know you've been here the last few weeks, all right? He was making his glory known through the? Very good, all right. Making his glory known through the church. And we talked about last week how elders were leaders in the church who, who have overall leadership but have a deep responsibility to display the glory of Christ. And we talked about how if we compromise when it comes to integrity and leadership in the church, we reflect poorly on the glory of Christ in our communities. That's why leadership is so important. I want to add another ring to that and talking about deacons, talking about people who lead us in service. Now, if we're all servants, and even the elders are in some sense a servant, then what separates deacons apart from elders, or what separates deacons apart from anybody else? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. I want us to look at three responsibilities of deacons. Number one, deacons meet needs according to the word. They meet needs according to the word. That is the most specific usage that we see throughout the New Testament of deacons when they serve. They're meeting certain physical needs. That's what's going on here in Acts chapter 6. The Jewish system had it set up so that widows were taken care of and widows were supplied for. The problem was, though, in Jerusalem you had a lot of Greek-speaking widows who had a Greek background that were being overlooked in comparison to the the Hebrew widows. So there were starting to be some, some... disappointment there and dissension there. And so what you had is these people start to rise up, these seven guys, all of them, ironically enough, with Greek-speaking names to show that they really were focused on meeting this particular need. Here's what I want you to see. Deacons, first of all, arise from specific circumstances. There's a specific need that came up right here. And then second, not only do they arise from specific circumstances, but they are accountable for specific commands. Now, I want you to to grab hold of this with me because this is one of the reasons I believe we don't see a lot about exactly what deacons do in the New Testament. In fact, you leave Acts chapter 6, you don't see these guys referred to as deacons again. You don't even see anybody referred to as deacons. You really don't see it as a main leadership role in the church until we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But what you do have in the New Testament church is a picture of, of people rising up and helping meet needs in the church as they come up. Some specific circumstance arises, and you've got a command like we do have in here. We mentioned it earlier. Religion that God our Father looks at as pure and faultless is looking after orphans and widows in their distress. That is, that is based on the Old Testament over and over and over again. God talks about how his people needed to care for the fatherless and the widows. It's really interesting that we had this time of prayer for, for these orphans this morning. You do a search throughout the Old Testament. Whenever you see widows, most often right next to it, you see God caring for the fatherless. It's really an incredible picture. And so you've got God saying, this is important to me. This is a command for the church. And you've got some specific circumstances where that command is not being taken care of. And so these guys rise up to take care of that. What that means is, Deacons look different in different time periods. Deacons look different according to different needs, even in one body in a local church. There are many people who do a variety of different things that fulfill this role to help meet needs, help lead in meeting needs in the local church according to the Word. Let me give you an example here at the church at Brook Hills. Some of you may know, some of you may not know that there's a a missions ministry team. There's a World Touch offering 
Some of you are familiar with it. Many of you give regularly to it. And this is an offering that you can give to all throughout the year. This church uses to make the glory of Christ known in all nations in a variety of different ministries that are going on. And what happens is this ministry team is leading out in how those funds are being distributed. I want you to see the parallels between what they're doing here in, in Brook Hills and what's going on here in Acts chapter 6. Let me show you a picture on the screen just to give you an example. On the left side of the screen up here, you see a building in the nation of Kyrgyzstan. This is, this is the beginning of a building in Kyrgyzstan. This is where they were before Brook Hills got involved. And what happened was this nation, it's about 5 million people, over 80% Muslim, in an area of the world in Central Asia where, where there are many, many unreached people. In other words, people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And they wanted, this ministry there, wanted to, to start a training center. They, they had, they have all kinds of resources spread out throughout Central, Central Asia, but they wanted a place that was going to be a base where they can send out radio and TV. And that's very prevalent in Muslim world, trying to get the gospel out. It's becoming a very effective tool. Translations, printing, they wanted a place where they could train up ministers to go out throughout Central Asia, making the gospel known among unreached peoples. So the missions ministry team comes together, takes the funds that have been given to this local church, and makes the decision, leads out, and says, here's how we're going to distribute them. And the result, on the right side of the screen, you'll see a picture of the result. Today, there is a mission sending center in Kyrgyzstan that houses TV and radio ministry that's going out to Muslim areas all over Central Asia, that is distributing and printing information about the gospel that is going out all over Central Asia. Men and women are being trained in there. There's a church that is meeting in there. And that is a result of what God has done to the church at Brook Hills. And deacons, people playing that role, leading us to serve in that capacity. That's a pretty beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be a part. Deacons are pretty important. There's a lot of people in Kyrgyzstan who are thankful for people who are playing the role of deacons at the church at Brook Hills. They meet needs according to the word. And that can be played out over and over again in many different ways at the church at Brook Hills. Now, go to the second, go to the second responsibility there because these go together. They meet needs according to the word, but they also support the ministry of the word. You see, the, the apostles wanted these people to be cared for. It was a very important need. But they had their primary responsibilities that we talked about last week, teaching the body of Christ, giving themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, Nurturing the, the body of Christ and, 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 and taking, taking the word and providing overall leadership in the church. That was the role of the elders, but they couldn't do some of those specific things. And so leaders rise up so that proclamation of the word happens and needs are met. So it's not an either or, which when you think about it, in many churches we often err on one side or the other. Think about it. There's a lot of churches who are very active in social causes today. And are out and meeting the needs of those who, are, who don't have much and who are oppressed or afflicted. And there's a lot of churches that are reaching out in social justice issues. But the common trend across the United States in particular in churches that reach out in, to social justice issues is they're often known as more liberal churches when it comes to the word. And basically they're saying, well, well you know, Jesus is the way for us, but he may not be the way for you. And the gospel's not really completely true. Other world religions get the, get the point, too. And in the end, we're going to end up in the same place. And so they're reaching out in areas of social justice, but compromising the gospel in the middle of it. They're giving themselves to the needs, but forgetting the word. On the other hand, you've got a lot of churches that are strong, conservative churches. They tell it like it is. They preach it like it is. They guard their doctrine. 
They're holding fast to the truth of the gospel. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Then they turn a deaf ear to the millions of people around them that are starving today. They're not passionate about meeting social concerns in the culture around them. And neither one of those pictures is biblical when it comes to the church. It's not either or. It's both and. We proclaim the word and we proclaim it with boldness. We protect the gospel because it is precious to us. But at the same time, we give our lives, liberally we give our lives to make the gospel known among people who most need to hear it and people who are in the greatest need. It's a picture of both and. And what the the deacons are doing here in this passage is they're supporting the ministry of the word, helping meet the needs so that the word can still be proclaimed with boldness. Look at it this way. Deacons serve elders so that they can lead. Let me make sure you understand where I'm coming from on this. Deacons serve elders so that they can lead. When we're talking about deacons and seeing these guys in Acts chapter 6 and the role they play, they're not... They're not like a second house in the legislature. Deacons and elders battling back and forth over who's in control and who's in power. You don't have a picture of deacons here in the New Testament who are, who are holding the staff and the pastor accountable. You better do these certain things. Pastor is our Aaron, Aaron guy. He goes and does what we tell him to do. That's many times the picture that we see in local churches. And it's just not biblical. You've got elders who are responsible for the overall leadership of the church. And you've got deacons serving so that elders can be freed up to do what is most important when it comes to their responsibilities. Prayer and ministry of the word. And they give themselves to other responsibilities. It's working in partnership. Deacons serving elders so they can lead. Not only that, though, but deacons lead others so they can serve. Now, here in Acts chapter 6, by this time, there are thousands of people in the church in Jerusalem. And you've got these widows that are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So they raise up seven guys who are going to give themselves to this particular task. But they're not the only ones who are serving. Many times when we talk about deacons, people say, well, they're, they're servants in the church. Well, on the contrary, every single one of us in this room is called, commanded to be a servant in the church. These guys weren't the only ones passing out the food and distributing the funds. They were leading others to do that. They were facilitating it, helping make it happen so that the whole, the whole church family could be freed up to serve. Just like we see played out, for example, in the preschool ministry right across the way over there. Even if all of us were eager and willing to serve in preschool ministry, if we were to get over there, if nobody was leading us in how to do that, that is a recipe for an instant headache. If nobody's facilitating that and showing how it's going to happen. And that takes place in time after time, situation after situation across the church. They lead others so they can serve. Deacons aren't the servants. That's their job. And we're just members of the church. On the contrary, we're all servants in the church. We're all called to be servants with the word. And deacons are those who lead us and help facilitate that to happen. Deacons serve elders so they can lead. That's the picture that we're seeing in the New Testament of what it means to be a leading servant supporting the ministry of the Word and meeting needs according to the Word. Make sense? It's a good picture to see. Deacons are important in the church, valuable, significant. I want you to look at the third responsibility here. This is the one you could, you could almost miss if you don't really catch the whole atmosphere of what's going on in Acts 6. They meet needs, they support the ministry of the Word, but they also unify the body around the Word. Unify the body around the Word. I want you to to think about this passage here in Acts chapter 6. Not only are these Greek-speaking folks 
pretty upset that a lot of their widows are not getting food and supplies. But what you've got is not just a need to, to give them food and supplies, but you've got some disunity that's arising in the church, particularly along cultural lines between the Greeks and the, the people with the, the Hebraic Jews. And so what you've got is these people are starting to kind of go after each other and kind of get disappointed with each other, upset with each other. And so when these guys go out and they meet these needs according to the word, they don't just give the food and the supplies, they also begin to build unity in the church. Acts chapter 6 verse 1 made it pretty clear that the church was growing. What you've got is growing pains going on in the middle of this, this passage that we just read. Unmet needs arising, which are always the result of change in the church. And change is always the result when you have a growing church. Change becomes the constant. If the church at Brook Hills is going to grow, then change becomes something that you just kind of adapt to over and over again. And you rise up and you meet those needs so that the overall mission of the church can be accomplished. Now what that means, I think, is there's two main qualifications that we're seeing here for deacons. In order to unify the body around the word, number one, they must have a mission mindset. A mission mindset. This is, this is extremely important. In the, the New Testament, we see these guys making sure that the overall mission of the church is still going to be accomplished. And what that means is, when it comes to deacons in the church, in our culture, they can't be small-minded. And by that I mean people who are engaged in turf wars. We've talked about agendas some the need to sacrifice our agendas to the overarching agenda of making disciples of all nations to proclaim the glory of Christ. If you got deacons who are going around trying to guard their corner of ministry in the church or lobby for their corner of ministry in the church and almost sometimes to where they become cynical about other ministries in the church, then you miss the whole point. You've got to have an overall mindset that says we've got a mission to make disciples of all nations and we're going to do whatever it takes to lead and to serve in order to accomplish that mission. And you and I know that disunity in the church, when things start going wrong in the church and people start complaining in the church, many times we actually, with, with some of our past, we almost picture deacons the one who are starting those complaints and going around and kind of starting a little fires in other places. And what we've got in Acts chapter 6 is deacons putting out fires all over the church so that the mission can be focused on. Let's be honest. When problems begin to arise in the church and, and complaints begin to come out, I don't know if you've ever seen this take place in a church before, but things start to turn inward real quick. People start to get focused on each other's ideas, each other's agendas, and in that picture a lost and dying world completely fades away. Let me illustrate. If I were to ask you this morning to raise your hand, and I won't ask you to do this, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand, even here at the Church of Brook Hills, if you're a member of this church or if you've been attending for a while, I wonder if I were to ask the question, how many of you have something that, that you've complained about in this church? or something you've been frustrated with in this church, something that you've you've really not liked about this church, I'm guessing that many of us could raise our hands. Not because Brook Hills is heading the wrong direction, but because that's just sometimes the way we think, and that's sometimes the way the local church ends up looking. I'm guessing a lot of us would raise our hands and say, yeah, there's been some things in the past, maybe even this week, that I have complained about. Let me ask you another question then. 
What if I were to ask you to raise your hand if over the last month you've led someone to faith in Christ? Or even in the last week, have you shared the gospel of Christ with someone else? I'm guessing there'd be a few less hands. And it's because it's easy for us to think of problems and complaints because they allow us to forget about the mission. And we've got to be a church that dumbs down problems and complaints so that we exalt the mission. I'm not saying there aren't real needs that need to be met, just like in Acts chapter 6 in the church at Brook Hills. And I'm not even saying there's not, not valid complaints that are out there. But I am saying this. I want us to be a church that is about putting fires out when it comes to people starting to complain here or there about this and that. Let's squelch it so that we can give ourselves to the mission week in and week out and so that we can say above everything else of the church at Brook Hills, we're not about complaining about this or that. We are about a mission of proclaiming the glory of Christ in all nations. That's, that's the mission mindset that deacons have to portray, that leaders in the church have to portray. And there needs to be leaders throughout this church who are squelching those disunifying conversations in favor of the mission of Christ in this community and the lost people in this community and the people in the homes in this community who have not even thought about coming to the church at Brook Hills, the people in the homes in this community that are going through struggles that are more real than any one of us has ever experienced and they need the gospel of Christ and the love of Christ and the beauty of Christ and we can't show it to them if we're arguing with each other. We've got to have that kind of picture of a mission mindset. Not only that, but a Christ-like character because this is, just like with elders, this is one of the things that unifies us as a church as we reflect the glory of Christ. Now, I want you to turn to the right with me. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. A few books over to the right to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want us to look at a picture of, of the character of deacons. I think it's really interesting. This is a passage where we really see spelled out the qualifications of deacons. But we've already mentioned we don't really see a lot about the function of deacons, about what they do, because we've seen that changes from time period to time period. God knows that. It's his divine design that the church would adapt to the culture around it. But the non-negotiable is the character of those who lead in the church. And so we come to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7 we looked at last week when it talked about elders. Let's pick up this morning in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. And they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a, faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. I love that picture there of the, the significance of this role in the church. I don't know if you remember, in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it said as a result of what had happened in the organization, the structure of the church, many priests were coming to faith in Christ. There were thousands of priests in the Jewish sacrificial system, and many of them, because they weren't a part of the high priestly families, basically became inferior to the others. And their service was seen as inferior in the church. And that is not the picture of the New Testament church we follow a Savior who showed us that the way, the path to greatness is through the path of a servant. And there are people who saw these people with that kind of character showing the glory of Christ with the way they served. 
And these priests sat up and took notice and said, we want to be a part of that. And I'm convinced our culture is a lot different than that culture. But there's a lot of people who, if we were, they would see a true picture of Christ-like service in the church, would say, I want in on that. It's attractive. It brings people to Christ. Now, what we've got here, just like with elders, is a list of qualifications that really, to be honest, are not that outstanding. And by that I mean they're not things that aren't required of us all as Christians at other places in the New Testament. But what we're seeing again is that if you're going to serve in a leadership role in the church, even if it's on the parking team, then you need to, to reflect the glory and the character of Christ. So let's ask a few questions based on these verses. Number one, if we're looking at somebody who's serving in the role of deacon in the church, then they would, we would want to ask, is this person honorable? Is he, he or she honored around those, by those around him? Is this person genuine, authentic, not a gossip? Is this person self-controlled? Just like we saw with the elders, can't be addicted, not just to, to alcohol, but anything that would keep them from displaying the glory of Christ. Is this person a sacrificial giver? We saw that this person must not pursue dishonest gain. We've seen in Acts chapter 6 how they, they handled the distribution of funds, distribution of supplies. You don't want somebody who's doing that that is uh, in it for personal gain that walks away with something in their pocket after that. That's not the picture. We've got people who are, who are giving, who are sacrificing to give to others. Is this person devoted to the Word, keeping hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience? Now, sidebar here. Remember, this is one of, the, one of the distinguishing factors between elders and deacons. Elders have to be able to, able to teach. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says elders are able to teach, but it doesn't say that deacons are able to teach. That's not to say that deacons can't teach the Word of Christ. Certainly they can, but that's not a requirement for being one. You've got to know the Word, but you don't necessarily have to be able to communicate it uh, very clearly. Is this person faithful? They've proven themselves. Is this person blameless, morally pure? Now, I want you to think about those questions right there, those character questions. Dave, are you saying to us this morning that if, if you're going to lead the parking team or if you're going to lead in preschool ministry or you're going to lead others to serve in this or that ministry in the church, that you have to live up to all those qualifications, that I would have to live up to all those qualifications? Isn't that, isn't that kind of a tall order? I think it is. I think it's that way for a reason. I want the church at Brook Hills to be a church that can say, if you drop your kids off in preschool or in children's ministry, the people that are going to be in front of your kids are going to be those who are reflecting the glory of Christ. And if you, you drive in and see somebody representing the church as soon as you come on the campus, you're going to see somebody whose life is reflecting the glory of Christ. Not perfect. That's not the point. But it is to say, when we lead in the church, we want to reflect the glory of Christ as best as possible. So we ask all those questions. The last question there, what about women? Aha, the question we've all been waiting for. I opened up uh, kind of a can of worms last week when I mentioned women in ministry for about 30 seconds and then left it. And so we're coming back to it now. This is, this is an area of much discussion in many different places, and I'll be honest with you, many different people that I respect come down on different sides of this particular question. Are women deacons? Well, basically there's, there's, there's two, two views. 
Yes and no, all right? (laughs) So we'll move on, all right? (laughs) On the, uh, we'll start on the no side. On the no side, husband of one wife says deacons are, it talks about deacons and it says their wives are to be women worthy of respect. Women are not specifically referenced many other times as deacons in the church. How can we affirm that? And 1 Timothy 2.12 makes pretty clear that there's leadership responsibilities in the church that are, that are primarily for men and, and not open to women. You don't see a lot of solid biblical evidence that definitely says women are supposed to be deacons. And the fact that this in some translations is translated deaconess, it's up for debate. On the yes side, you've got people who look at this passage, you look at the structure of it, in verse 8 it says deacons likewise are to be, and it begins to describe their qualifications. Uh, and the transition there is the exact same transitions that's used in verse 11. In the same way, or likewise, same transition there, their wives are to be women worthy of respect. And so what you've got is a lot of people who say, well, this is, this is three different groups that he's setting up. Deacons are men, deacons are women, and then before that, elders. And he separates them with that same transition in the structure of this passage. Um, you even got a lot of people who point out the fact that in verse 11, it says, in the same way their wives are to be women worthy of respect, that pronoun there is actually not in the original language of the New Testament. Come with me to the sidelines of the football game for a second. That word is not there. It's just the word for women. And many times it's commonly been translated, well, that's talking about their wives. But I know in my own Bible, I've got a little note that takes me to the bottom. You may have one there that says, or that may say deaconesses. So you've got a discussion about whether or not that is the case. You've also got possible evidence that other people, women, are referred to as deacons in Scripture. Turn with me to the left. Go back to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, I want you to look with me at, at verse 1 in Romans chapter 16. Basically, this is Paul coming to the end of this letter, and he's given some greetings, some kind of final words where he's start, starting to mention some specific people. I want you to look at Romans chapter 16, verse 1. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church. That word servant right there, you can circle it. Same word that's used to refer to deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Now, we mentioned at the beginning of the service, this, these words are used many times throughout the New Testament. And so they don't always refer to a specific leadership role in the church. And so there's some people on the no side who say, well, well, that's referring to a servant in the church. Not necessarily some leadership position. Other people are saying, well, that's definitely a reference to Phoebe being a deacon. So you've got a couple different sides of the issue. My philosophy when I come to Scripture and I, I can't see a clear answer, I focus on what I can see clearly. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do, right? So I want to focus for a second on what we do know. We do know, we talked about it last week, 1 Timothy 2.12, as well as other passages in the New Testament, make it pretty clear that that, that elder role, the overall leadership role, in the church is designated specifically to men. And it's, it's the same in the home. We see that in Ephesians chapter 5. Men, you are held accountable to God 
for how you lead in your home. And we are held accountable to God for how we lead in the church. I am held accountable to God for that. And there's an overall leadership role there that in God's economy is set up that way. And so we know that when it comes to elders. But then when it comes to deacons, you've got a completely different list of responsibilities here. Now, remember, we talked about how deacons look different in a lot of different churches. I want you to look at the three responsibilities I've laid out here. Meet needs according to the word. Support the ministry of the word. Serving elders so they can lead, leading others so they can serve. And unifying the body around the word. Now let's just go ahead and admit that that's not the responsibilities that a lot of deacons and a lot of churches are playing out today. But if those are the responsibilities of deacons that we have seen in the New Testament church, then to be quite honest, I see nothing in Scripture that relegates those responsibilities to men alone. We see throughout the New Testament women meeting needs according to the Word, supporting the ministry of the Word, and unifying the body around the Word. It's clear over and over again. Paul references at least 17 different specific women who were, who were making the mission of the church happen in the different places where he had gone, that he had developed relationships with, that were a part of building the church and advancing the glory of Christ. And so we see the the New Testament church affirming over and over again the significant role of women in the church and the significant role of women in the mission of the church and even leading out in many areas there. And so based on this picture of a deacon, I don't think there's anything in Scripture that would say that would be relegated just to men. Obviously, yeah, it comes to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and you see it, deacons are to be uh, must be the husband of one wife. But even that right there, obviously we don't, we don't disqualify a single guy at that point because he's not the husband of one wife. It's talking about how this person is single-minded in devotion to his wife. And before that, because of the lack of that pronoun, their wives, and just saying women, I come down on the side of, this is talking about a significant role women have in leading in the church. Now, with that said, please hear me. I've said this before, and I'll say it this morning. This is not an agenda that I'm trying to promote in the church. I'm trying to take a look at Scripture and say, how can we best organize ourselves to lead in the church? So please don't walk away from this morning and say, well, our pastor says we, we should have women deacons. Because you say that, and you know what? A lot of people in churches where deacons are not playing this role, they're playing more of an elder role. Isn't that true? In a lot of Baptist churches in particular, elders or are, are deacons are the decision makers and providing overall leadership in the church. And in that case, we've made it pretty clear that that is supposed to be specifically focused on men. But I, I can tell you that I am all about affirming the role of women in this room and leading us to accomplish the mission of making disciples of all nations for the glory of Jesus Christ. So, if you have any more questions, feel free to ask Larry Herndon after the service. <laughs> I want you to turn over to the back. Now, I realize I got word that some of you may not have anything on the back of your notes here. Um, you, you thought we were finished. We're not. Uh, you turn over to the back of the notes, and there, you should have something there. If you don't have something there, you might be able to write this in. But here's the bottom line that we've seen in Acts 6, 1 Timothy 3, testimony of the New Testament church. Christ is most magnified through the church when ministers are most multiplied throughout the world. The goal is not to limit ministry 
and service to as few people as possible. The goal is to have as many people as possible in the local church surrendering their lives to serving with the word of God. That's the picture of the New Testament church. And that's why in Acts chapter 7, where you had this kind of, these kind of growing pains, these needs come up, a little disunity, and they take care of it. And what happens is Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says the number of disciples increased. It doesn't just say they increased. It says they increased rapidly. Literally, they multiplied. When these deacons rose up and took responsibility for some of these leadership roles in serving others. And what happened is in chapter 7, we see Stephen, one of the deacons, go before the Sanhedrin. He gets in some trouble. In chapter 8, we see what happens to Stephen, a deacon, begin leading the church to go to all nations. And so the breakthrough from the gospel going to Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth happened when people began getting a hold of the idea that it wasn't just a few guys who were serving in the church, it's all of us serving in the church. What happened is in the New Testament, an army of servants rose up and they began to turn the world upside down for Christ. And that's my prayer. That's the picture I want us to emulate here at the church at Brook Hills. God, make us an army of servants in this room, equipped with the word of Christ, passionate about the glory of Christ and committed to walking out of this room and making that glory known, making that word known in Birmingham and all nations. That's the picture of the New Testament church that we see. And there's no room in that for going around from church to church trying to find the one that meets your needs the best. Going around from church to church trying to promote the agenda that you think is most important. There's no room for that for going and just kind of sitting on the sidelines in a church and attending a church and really not getting involved and committing yourself to a local church. It's just not biblical. This is the picture of the church. Christ displaying his glory to the world through this kind of church. And that's what I pray that God makes us here at Brook Hills. And that, I know, that involves sacrifice. It involves commitment. And you've already displayed your willingness to do that. I, I want to share with you a letter I got uh, this week. And it's, it's unsigned. Just as a side note, I normally don't read unsigned letters uh, Sometimes those are just not the most encouraging ones. And uh, if you have something you'd like to share, I'd love to know who you are. Um, but this particular letter was a letter of testimony. And the reason it wasn't signed is because this person wants the glory to go to God for what happened. I want to share with you a couple of parts of this letter. A couple of weeks ago, when you gave the appeal to help build houses for the earthquake victims in Indonesia, I was burdened with the need for the need to participate in this effort. However, years ago, we made the sacrifice for me to give up my career and stay home with our children. We've made a couple of other decisions that we felt were best for our family, and those, too, have required financial sacrifice. So, when you laid the request before our church family, my first thought was, oh, I wish I could help, but... And then God used the story of the man with the devastated business, yet was willing to give even when he had tremendous need to move me. It became a pivotal time for me in my faith, Finances or lack of finances probably represent the biggest area of fear in my life. When I was growing up, my family went bankrupt, and a few years later, my parents divorced. So instability in this area represents a lot of pain for me. But I felt God telling me, this is a new day in your faith. Do you want to be characterized by fear and selfishness or faith and generosity? Do you want to continue to be defeated in this area of your life, or do you want to be radically transformed? Have faith in me. Trust me. So I began to think of what I could give. 
What single item do I have that I could give that is of great value and represents the greatest sacrifice for me? What item do I have that puts it all on the line for me, that represents great faith in God and reflects a generosity for which only God could get the glory? And the answer came to me. My engagement ring. As the reality of this decision set in, I began to cry, both for the loss of the thing and for the gain of the Spirit. Giving of this item was a permanent decision, and I would never have it back. But in return, I would gain freedom that comes from letting go. I could experience a generosity of spirit that I had not known before. In other words, I could ride on the front of the boat through the rapids of my faith in God. The next couple of paragraphs talk about how she shared that with her husband. And he said, maybe that's not a great idea. <laughs> about a week and a half later, he comes back and says, if that's what the Lord is leading you to do, then... I'll support you in it, and we'll do it together. So I began to pray again about this. Did God just want my willingness, or did he want the tangible sacrifice? God used the story of Abraham and Isaac to move me forward in this decision. Though a ring cannot be compared to a child, it is the act of faith that I wanted to emulate. I know that in this account, God provided a ram. I don't want a ram. I want to look at my finger and be reminded that someone now has a new place or shelter that did not have it before. And I want to look at my finger and be reminded that I, too, am in a new place with God. So today, my husband and I give this offering as an act of the will. Removed from the emotion of the moment, it is now a fully measured decision in some ways that make it more difficult, but we want to follow through in obedience. And it is truly in the spirit of Acts 2 that you read to us recently that my husband and I give this ring. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May he receive all of the glory. Ladies and gentlemen, my goal in this series has not been to make being a part of the local church the easiest thing for you to do. My goal has been to show you the beauty of Christ, his church, to show you a church that is worth committing yourselves to, to make the glory of Christ known in all nations. It's worth sacrificing for. And already you have responded in many different ways. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Let's continue to move toward being an army of servants with the word, a part of one mission. And let's commit ourselves to the local church. If you are here this morning and you have been an attender for who knows how long and you've hesitated from committing yourself, sacrificing to commit to the local church, I pray that you'll join, if not with this local church, some local church, and get committed to making the glory of Christ known through the church. And if you are a member of the church, that you would take a, another look at what that means for you and your family. 
and that together we would unite together and pray that God would blow the doors open at this place for his glory to send us out making disciples of all nations and experiencing a life and a church that counts for his kingdom. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Radical with David Platt. We are excited to announce a new free resource by David Platt called Gospel Threads. Many followers of Christ find it difficult to share their faith. They either do not have a firm grip on the core truths of the gospel, or they simply struggle to get the conversation started. In this free download, David Platt explains five core truths or threads of the gospel and then offers suggestions for weaving these threads into our everyday conversations. We believe in the helpfulness of this tool so much that we've made it available free of charge. You can download Gospel Threads right now, free of charge, at Radical.net forward slash Gospel Threads. That's Radical.net forward slash Gospel Threads, one word. We pray this resource would be a helpful tool for you to implement as you seek to share the gospel in your everyday conversations. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us this week on Radical with David Platt. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. We'll see you next time.